Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Cut the Shit, a podcast series that aims to take a closer look at the impact of the IT industry, both the good and the bad. Cut the Shit is brought to you by Plow Networks, a managed IT services company based just outside Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Brian Link, EVP of Products and Services here at Plow, and I'll be your host for this series. I'll ask questions, and with the help of our guests, try to dig deep on some of the key challenges we all face dealing with IT. So with that, let's cut the shit and get started. On today's episode, I am pleased to host another edition of Cut the Shit After Hours, our semi-regular series where I sit down with the co-founders of Plow Networks, Brian Law and Cameron Plato, and have a free-ranging conversation about a topic or two of interest. With it being early in the year, today I get them to share their opinions about what business leaders should expect from their IT providers, whether that's internal or external, as well as what they think expectations should be for new IT partners and employees. And lastly, we close out by trying to imagine a world without email. Yes, you heard that right. And we share a few cold weather winter memories. Enjoy. Gentlemen, as always, great to have you back behind the mics with us. How is everybody today? It's great to be here. Thank you. We're so good. happy. I, I can tell. I can tell. Like, I mean, I know this is the highlight of your day, so you're welcome. What else, what, I mean, what else would you be doing if you weren't sitting here talking with, with us? Nothing. Just hanging out. I mean, this is what being a business owner is all about, right? Yeah. Life of life of luxury. Don't do much. No. Just kind of hang out. It's the dead the middle of winter, in. and it's gross outside, and it's spitting snow, and it's gray. But thanks to our production team, we have this seasonal <laughs> affective disorder hot light in my face. So I'm, ex- yeah. I'm starting like I'm to feel Miami. more up. Like yeah, I'm in Miami right now. Yeah, the lights, my, for I sure. dopamine flying. I feel for good. Sure. I mean, it is the dead of winter, and even though it's Nashville and it hardly ever snows, it actually is snowing out the window right now. It's not going to stick, but it is nevertheless. Um, and it's kind of a weird time of year in my mind. Like it's one of these times of year where this dead of this sort of really two month period, January, February, maybe into March, but really January, February, from my perspective, it's like a combination of busy and not busy because, like, on the calendar. There's not a lot going on. It's kind of a dead period. I mean, sports, you know, other than NFL playoffs, there's not much going on. NBA's in the middle of theirs. If you're a sports fan, it's kind of a lull. You know, there's not a lot of holidays. I mean, there's a couple, but they're not it's, – it's not like – you're coming right off of Christmas, so it's sort of like a, a drops down, right? But it always, to me, has always felt busy from a work perspective because, I mean, practically speaking, what the hell else are you going to do? Right? You might as well work because there's not much going on. And unless you live in South Florida or California or something – it, the weather's not necessarily great. Well, it gets dark while you're still still here at the office. That's so. the other problem. Well, so, and that's that's true. But it's starting to change. We're, shorter, yeah. we're having know, that conversation. That, they're lengthening. All that's true. So, so I think a lot of people are just they're trying to get rolling on. You know, they've got annual plans. If they have an annual plan, some people don't do that. But if you do, you know, you're in the process of trying to get that going or get rolling on that. And so, in thinking about that, it, it made me. That leads you to expectations. Like you're trying to, you got to try to be successful about doing some initiative, making something happen. And so you're going to have expectations about how that's going to go and how people might behave or perform around that. So it got me thinking a little bit about if you're, you know, you're a business person and you've got an IT service provider that could be internal or external, right? What would be a fair set of expectations for that business person to have relative to their IT service provider? And it could be quality things or whatever, but it might be performance and, and you know, mentality or, phil- or philosophy, things like that. So I thought what we do is start a little bit like in terms of y'all's perspective, 
what should you know the business side of the house of a company and again we'll just in our mind's eye keep in mind you know not a we're not talking about a small company we're not talking about a giant one a mid-sized company you know they've got some internal people probably they don't do everything but they've got they have expectations of that group and they've got enough leadership to where that person is probably has a seat at the table to talk to so what would be the expectations that the business should have from that group um, as you think as, as you think about going into a year well, I'm glad you started with the easy questions. Um, of course. So Always. I have a general opinion about what I think business, non-technical or non-IT folks think about IT. Um, and I think that probably you, you almost have to establish that as a baseline and assume right. that what you're asking about is, hey, you know what, let's actually do this right this year. Let's come up with some, you know, objectives and some, you know, quantifiable measurements and that sort of thing. I think for the most part, as a, as a basis, or a baseline to, to, to this I think that uh, a lot of times it's a, there's a recency bias to whatever um, sort of judgment they're passing on IT. You know, have I heard a lot of noise lately from the service desk, or have people been complaining to me, or is it, you know whatever it is, uh, and, and you know that that comes into play about well that must be the quality of what we did last year, or did we get some projects done? Never mind if the projects actually produced an expected result or even accomplished what they you know had said in the beginning. I think a lot of IT just evaporates into the ether, you know. Um, so I think it would, this is kind of a complicated answer, or maybe a more in, um, nuanced answer to your question, but I think it starts with having um, a, a defined outcome. Like what, are we, what do we expect from IT? Maybe that's your, your question. I'm just rephrasing it. But it's what do we expect and, you know, are they living up to expectations? If you, if you don't have a defined measurement, then every, everything you can measure is just subjective to whatever your opinion of the day is, also influenced by recency bias, right? So um, the, you know, to me, I think, you know, we, we do a lot of service delivery around here, and we do it at an aggregate scale, almost like a large enterprise with a lot of very diverse departments. Those departments essentially are our clients, and the enterprise is all of our clients in aggregate. Um, so that requires some pretty complicated um, and robust KPIs. Those KPIs, you know, at the end of the day are somewhat simple in the, you know, it's quality of service. So you get that, that's subjective, that's feedback from clients and that sort of thing. Have a way to measure the productivity of that department, have a measure, a way to measure the quality of what the department's doing. Um, you know, and frankly, the goal there is just decide, is this working or not for our business? What works in one business may not work in another. It may not matter. You know, the people on the service line aren't, aren't happy. I mean, I don't say that nobody cares, but somebody might not care. Somebody might care if the accounting department can't close out the books in a timely fashion because of some IT issues. So, you know, define what, what's most important to you in your specific business and then f come up with, you know, quantitative ways to measure that. And I think that requires you to have um, mature systems and um, process and procedure where people are disciplined <clears throat> to use those systems appropriately. Because, you know, if you throw, you know, a fly in the ointment and people aren't using it correctly, well, then who cares it's, you, you've ruined it all and the, the data is flawed so that's probably a horrible answer but that's my waxing on it it was a horrible answer i thought I so mean, yeah. I, but i'm glad you said so <laughs> yeah i, I mean I, I really don't have anything to add to it i do the one point you made i think that was worthy i'm just kidding um just <laughs> it the, was about 10 seconds <laughs> five the, dissertation the was, whole maturation piece of it i think is important and yeah. understanding where where you are from a from an it perspective and what the business is expecting um you know it, it's different in medium-sized businesses we've seen you know very immature it organizations to very you know to 
fairly mature, mm-hmm. um, and I think that 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 dictates <laughs> drives a lot of it. <clears throat> and you know, you mentioned a couple different types of information and data. You know, maybe KPIs or or you know, I, I would think there would you'd want some business plan from you know again since we're talking internal, right? You'd want some business plan. What are the what resources do you need? Do you have what you need based on? We're going to assume that there's some expectations that have been set from the business about here's what we're trying to achieve on the business yeah. side. We're going to flip the script on that in just a minute. Um, but assuming there are, there, that, that those are there, then that seems to be, you know, there's a finite list of things to say, here's kind of what what we think we ought to have informationally or data-wise. In, do you have you guys have a sense? I mean, I've been in different organizations where it's different, but in terms of a cadence that makes sense for sharing that information, you know, what, what do you think makes sense that doesn't become cumbersome? Because, you know, you can give somebody a dashboard and show them real-time whatever, and most likely the business person is not going to pay it. They, they can't. They can't it, it's not relevant on a, on a yeah. minute-to-minute basis. I, I think there's two, two sides of IT, and I think oftentimes IT, for the most part, is relegated to uh, a service provider, meaning it's, you know, hey, you're here to react and respond to and provide you know, necessary services for the business. Yeah. So that's more of a, here's what we expect from you, hopefully defined, and then, you know, measure, show me how that, that you're doing that. Yeah. The other side of it is IT is an enabler, meaning something that, you know, how do you leverage technology to accelerate the growth of the business or increase the profits or what, you know, whatever mm-hmm. measurement you're looking for there. That has to be done proactively on the front end. And I don't think those conversations qu- happen quite as often as IT people would like you to believe they do. You know, that would mean you're sitting down at the table with the executive team and talking about how technology can empower the business, not how it can just make sure, you know, Betty's printer works. So, Which is important, but to your point, these are fundamentally different. They're very uh, different, different things. Roles, right? and so, uh, you know, those get measured, obviously, and, and, and execute, well, executed and measured differently. So, um, but to, to the extent that, you know, a cadence, I'm a big believer in self-service. It's why we invest so much around here in dashboards and portals and all that sort of stuff. It's like, if you want the information, you're going to want the information likely at a time when it's inconvenient for us to deliver the information to you. You know, somebody's got a wild hair up their ass to sit around and do a report that night and they want some de- some depth to it. Right, right. I'll bet you our team's not sitting around ready to hand it to you. So, yeah, so what we end up doing is, you know, putting these into portals. I think there is a, there is a necessary cadence. We've seen the fruits of our labor around establishing cadence to... You know, specific meetings. Yeah, you know, we do a morning huddle around here. That was a pain in the ass to get started in the beginning, and it felt empty in the beginning. So, but you know, it bears fruit over time. Honestly, I think it depends on the volume and the criticality of the service being provided. For example, if you provide IT services for a contact center, I mean, it may be twice a day that you're checking in on how are things being delivered. Sure, um, you can't do the job without. That's it. correct. But you know, if you're just providing basic IT services to an organization that that. I mean, frankly, it's just an accessory to how they're getting things done or making money. Um, then I'd say, you know, weekly is usually pretty good. Monthly to talk about more strategic goals, and we're checking on those. And quarterly, obviously, where are we at and what we said we were going to do this year yeah. becomes a. When you get to quarterly, case. semi-annual, annual, right? You're talking right. about strategic discussions. Correct. It should a, be anyway. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, for sure. And then, like I said, you know, self-service dashboards where people can see data that's predefined as, as you know, deemed important. That sort of thing, I think, is is a a key uh, kind of a key technology to have at your disposal so yeah and I, I mentioned it but I think we ought to do it go ahead let's go ahead and flip it and think about what is it that IT teams need from the business to be able to do their job effectively direction sure. yeah and I but 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 what does that mean like how, how would you describe that yeah you know 
and maybe we can even use the example of us in terms of the services we deliver to people because we were talking internal, but I mean, at the end of the day, this, I don't think is really any different internal versus external. If you're trying to do a certain, you know, if you're trying to do the job, I'll you know, and be integrated. I'll tell you what I've seen internally, and obviously I've seen this with our customers, and I see it, you know, mm-hmm. with issues we might have with a customer, and that's assumptions, right? So it's the the lack of clarity and definition. You know, if I say I'm going to do something, you may, or you say you want something from me, and I say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that, until and unless it's recommunicated back to you with kind of sub bullets or or, or or more, you know, micro level detail there's a lot of opportunity for that to be um, misinterpreted between both parties. So what I'd, what I'd love to see, you know, with the, I, I think that every business should have a strategic plan published, but really for IT, a three-year horizon, you know, kind of is, becomes more real and a one-year horizon. And no one, I mean, I think a lot of IT people are pretty, pretty bright about interpreting the business objectives and where technology can, you know, satisfy or fulfill or subsidize those, uh, achieving those objectives. And, you know, getting those and redistilling those down into some more uh, tactical uh, kind of uh, engagements or tactical object or tactical um, uh, activities needs to be distilled out inside the walls of the IT shop and then recommunicated back up to, you know, <clears throat> business. And I think by doing that, it also offers an opportunity to say, this is what I heard you say, and this is how we're going to tackle this. This is what we expect as an outcome. Does that match what you're thinking? Right. And that that volleying back and forth to establish crystal clear clarity is rarely done, in my opinion. I, at least I've only seen it really performed with people from our position back to a customer because there's I've seen money it's you know, real money like there's a monetary exchange taking place, not just making payroll, um, but <clears throat> inside shops that are really really mature. Uh, that's the other place I see it. So, um, but I think that becomes a, a critical source of um, uh, both sides see it happen, both sides meaning the, the, the one delivering the information and the one kind of responding to it, being in this case the IT shop. I think that those two kind of give each other a pass quite often. It's saying, well, I didn't probably give you all the details, so I'll take your half-ass answer and vice versa. And at the end of the day, that's where you get unclear objectives and the, the recency bias, whatever's been going on. And so everybody gets a pass and nothing gets done. Stuff gets done, but nothing you know, concrete gets done. What makes it any different, truly, than how you handle every department? Right? I mean, it's still the same. I mean, marketing needs that type of right. information. Um, accounting needs that type of information. Everybody needs the True. information around yeah. goals and objectives in order to be able to formulate, even a company as small small as ours, to formulate their plans. You know, that tie into those things. So, um, IT shouldn't be any different. I just feel like it. I feel like it is, though. Yeah, I feel like I do. there's there's not as much of that dialogue, and we see it every day when we get in the middle of a of a new client, and you know we see we, we can have those conversations, and the business is going this way, and IT might be going this way. It's really, you know, sometimes it gets put on IT. It's not necessarily their fault because they just don't know yeah. the direction. And if marketing doesn't know direction or sales doesn't know direction, you're probably not going to get where you're trying to go. Yeah, well, yeah. we sort of see more. Some of this came to a head this past year in 2022 because historically, let's say, for example, you needed equipment, product, you know, physical goods. That was always, you know, more or less available within a 30-day window tops. 
Um, all of a sudden now you're getting six months, yeah. 12 months, 18 months out on, on these things and not knowing in advance meant you didn't have stuff. Well, if you're a company that's in the middle of acquiring or rolling out de novo sites and that type of thing, you know, you needed stuff. IT's the last to know. All of a sudden you're going to miss dates if you don't have stuff. Well, why didn't you tell me about that? Well, you don't need to know. Well, I needed to know 18 months in advance. So it's, it started to bring, I think, a little more of an awareness around, hold on a minute, this stuff isn't instantaneous. It's not, you know, the Netflix of IT service delivery. Like it's not on demand. So. Yeah, and, and I think the cloud kind of—I mean, there the is more. There too. is more on demand, yeah. right? That's not—it's not wrong, but it also has has I think led to that mentality. Like, well, when I need it, I can just turn it on. That's right? correct. I mean, yeah, and, and our, that our habits doesn't always. To become, that's not always the case, right? Yeah. And, and your point is, even if it is the case, it doesn't mean it's right. Well, because I mean, at the end of the day, just buying stuff. I mean, what we're talking about is a different a different question. What stuff? Like, because there's a bunch of different kind of stuff to buy. Like, yeah, depending on what you're trying to do with that growth and those locations and that business, that business growth, it it should dictate the kind of IT, uh, the, the the kind of IT solution that makes the most sense relative to what the goal is, right? And that Correct. isn't always. If the IT shop doesn't know, now maybe it's on them to ask. You know, if you ask and don't get an answer, or you get a shitty answer, then I guess. <clears throat> It's not all your well, fault. No one remembers but, that but part. But it's both. Yeah, it's 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 incumbent on both Keep parties, right? Yeah, right? I mean, if you if this is it's going to work well, and I mean, I think about us. You know, we talk a lot about you know trying to be a business first place. You know, business first, then IT second. And you know, I think we're gonna have to we have to continue to work hard at that because that isn't always it doesn't always work out that way on the front end I, because I don't know that everybody's used to that. I mean, look, if you need internet. You know, a lot of people will just come in and say, what do you need? And whatever your answer is, they'll just give you something, sure. right? And that's maybe not the right question, but it could feel it's, like it's the right question. It's always the question behind the question, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that we, uh, as our the style of our organization, and I love it if everybody acted this way, is don't take it at face value. Ask the question behind the question and seek that clarification and understanding. And, I, you know, frankly, a lot of our clients, especially until we get sort of indoctrinated into kind of just knowing each other in our processes, I think they're, it's a little off-putting at first when we ask so many questions. But Yeah, and it may feel, I mean, somewhat invasive, invasive. Like, wait a minute, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I want to tell you all this. And, well, I, and I, I mean, I, on the one hand, I get that, but at the, the other end of the spectrum is, well, if you, want this done, if you want this done right and to maybe, you know, help you get to where you're trying to go, you don't really, it's kind of like going to the doctor and not telling them right, everything. The whole story. It's probably not a good idea, even if, it, if it's uncomfortable in the process. Well, I find that, and this is I'm kind of a guess, but I, at least half the time we ask those questions, the person we're asking doesn't have the answer. And ironically, they also see that I don't have the answer, and I know it's ridiculous I don't have the answer, but nobody's willing to give it to me. So, you know, I understand why you're asking. I'd love to know too, but it does, I think at times make our clients feel more comfortable too, because they're like, you know, I'm sitting out here on an Island by myself. I'm asking those questions and being told they're silly. Maybe at some point they start to think, am I silly for asking silly questions? The answer is no, you're asking real questions that you know you need answers to. And we're, we're asking them as well for the same purpose. So, so we've talked, I mean, we talked about internal, external service providers kind of mixed, but are there, are there specific things that the business should expect different from an external service provider versus an internal? And I don't, I don't know if the, the answer might be no, but I, I'm just I would curious. argue it's even more so internally. Um, you know, it, it, externally you've got you you pay a bill once a month, of, you know, presumably for a, a an SLA backed specific scope of services. Internally, you're making payroll, and so what you expect from those people ought to be pretty well defined. 
If not, it just gets massaged into the overhead of the organization and there aren't clear expectations. And it becomes very easy to just be lazy about that in terms of what you're you know, uh, either investing in or expensing out. Right? Uh, so internally, um, I think the same, I think a lot of IT shops servicing their, their companies would, not, not external, but internal, would benefit from being held to the same set of standards that an external service provider would be held to. Now, funny enough, the, the standards we're held to are the same standards that we publish to customers. In the absence of them having something rigorous mm-hmm. to hold us to, we hold ourselves to our own rigorous standards. The, um, and, you know, if customers had it, we'd probably adhere to it just fine, but they, nine times out of ten, they don't have it, and they don't even know where to start. So, you know, how would they adopt something like what we've published internally and then hold their own teams accountable to it? There's no way. That's not their, that's not their gig. That's not what they do. So um, I, think, I think that leaves it uh, kind of loose and undefined, which means did you hit the mark? I don't know. I mean, where's the goalpost? We moved it today. So, yeah. you know. And, I mean, it explains in many ways why the, you know, outsourcing around IT has been effective, right? Because well, I think some of the benefit is the definition, you know, you know? correct. And that, that's what I mean. Like, I don't, I mean, doesn't, I mean, IT people inside an organization versus outside, there's talent in both of those places. This is real more operational know-how uh, and how to, and how to do it that's that, right. that could create, you know, I think it's created an attractiveness to, and I don't mean outsourcing like low cost labor. I'm talking about, should we do it? Should we do it with the folks internally or with the guys yeah. that we've met who are there in our area and they do this yeah. as a complement or replacement to that, right? And that's a different kind of a measurement uh, or it comparison. Is. Well, it's a very different service than yeah, just plain for outsourcing. Sure. Yeah. I think that it puts the onus on the, the outsourcing piece, puts the onus more on us to be more communicative. It does. To our customer, to our client. And I, I think it puts us in a better position oftentimes to ask more questions because it feels risky to begin right. with versus having Johnny and Bob that are working internal that you can just kind of tell what to do. We're, we need to know, we need to know where, where this thing's going and for, in order for us to understand like, where's the end zone. Mm-hmm. And then it's our job to make sure they understand, you know, in some cases how we're scoring, right. And, and what we're doing. Yeah. And it's a classic and, example of explicit cost <clears throat> versus right. in, you know, internal, I'm, I won't say hidden, but kind of buried in yeah, the, yeah, in the to your point, buried in the overhead versus we're writing a check every month to, the, to these guys and gals. What, what are we getting for that? Mm-hmm, right. Absolutely. And that's, it just, it's a different kind of a, so I think that's some of the accountability outsourcing or, or some yeah. of the success of it service providers is that it does all of a sudden bring more of a, a clear focus on the efforts and the output yeah. Yeah. as opposed to, it's just in the, in the, you know, in the soup. All right, we've gone on that a bit. Let's let's flip the discussion a little and talk a little bit about expectations around employees, both current and potential. It's it's not the same, but it's related, right? And I mean, we all know finding and keeping good people is one of a, one of business's greatest challenges, right? Everybody wants to get better at that. Even if you think you're good at it, you want to get better at it, right? For all the for all the obvious reasons. Um, and I want to ask specific opinions from the two of you around. What, what expectations do you generally have in your mind when you think about current employees and then potential employees? And I recognize that that may be, I won't say unique, but specific to, to your situations. And it doesn't have to just be here at Plow. It could be in the past, too. And then we could talk a little bit about how does that sort of translate into, you know, what other people might be thinking about in this context. That's kind of a tough one because it's pretty broad. Thanks. Nice, nice question, Link. That's what I do. Um, so, 
I mean, I can really only speak to our to our particular needs, but I mean, that's fine. Well, first of all, uh, you know what what clients would be looking if we make a comparison or a contrasting statement here. If if customers are looking to hire internal IT people, to me, those folks by and large would service their business better if they were more. Um, consultative and it, it, both the business expectation and the delivery of it were more consultative and more and uh, you know business analyst type um, you know strategists right not technicians because you know where we've arrived at with with technology is so um, fragmented and and specialist by, by nature that Look, the jack of all trades cannot be effective across the entire paradigm and stack of technologies. It, it just does not happen. If it can be, it's only at a generalist level at best. Right. And so what would be more valuable to an organization is to have a specialist that understands how to apply those technologies and then engage people who obviously are you know, in, in depth and in, in, you know, droid at delivery and execution right. and management of these things. Now, on our side... It's quite the opposite. We do need specialists. We want everybody to have a generalist mentality, but a specialist, you know, set of expertise. You know, you don't want to go to your, you know, your, you know, uh, general nurse practitioner to go, you know, get get heart surgery, right? So we we need spe- you know specific specialists here. But um, the thing we're looking for is typically attitude. At, you know, everybody's going to say it's the attitude, aptitude, um, you know, cultural fit, desire to 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 be part of a team. To, to not have all of the answers, and that's a unique thing in IT. If you're the guy in the room that doesn't have the answers, then you're the idiot. Well, that's not true. I mean, you know, I think sometimes the most uh, uh, valuable skill is knowing when to say when, and, like, uh, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, right. fine, good. Somebody else does. Let's make sure we fill that gap. If you're, you know, the lone wolf in the IT shop, you're assumptive that you should know everything and that's just unrealistic and but i think a lot of businesses think that way about the it people so i think what we're looking for we can find because we're we're we understand we're going to hopefully find somebody that's really good at a certain thing but that fits in i think most businesses are looking for one person or a small group of people that are great at everything and i think that's a silly expectation that's a silly thing to go out and seek you're probably not going to find them it's a unicorn and you know, if anything, it's a horse that's been painted up with a stick on its head. Like, that's as good as it's going to get. So, And if you do find them and then they leave. They're gone, yeah. What do you do? Right, right. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, attitude and aptitude. And, and you talked a good bit about sort of technical capability. You folded in some discernment and analytical skills. But what what are some, I mean, when you think about the folks that you're trying to hire, we're trying to hire here at Plow, what how do you get at that sort of softer side, right? And that sort of philosophical alignment? Because I think that's a real challenge for, uh, you know, for businesses. Um, and, and it's one that, I mean, there's no magic to it. If there were, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But just curious how you guys think it's about that. It's a feel that. thing, right? But I mean, you know, we, so we started leveraging personality assessments, which is sort of weird and a bit of an overreach. But we started doing that. And those have proven to be pretty accurate in terms of, or reliable in terms of the output. And, you know, I'm not saying that not every role inside our organization requires the same personalities. So we've done, a, you know, further defined what's your role, what's your responsibility, what would an ideal candidate look like in terms of their, you know, how they map to a personality <clears throat> assessment. So we've that's proven pretty effective. Um, I think the other thing is um, a few interviews, like a series of interviews in different situations with different people. Like when I say different people, different 
very different audiences right. in terms of what they're looking for. Team, you know, team meeting, yeah, team like meetings. a more of a team style interview. I mean, I think the more eyes that yeah. we put on them, the better our chances of yeah. not, not missing. Even get, get them in a tough situation. Get them in a relaxed situation. You know, just kind of see how they how they work with people, how they flow. Uh, get them know. to lunch and see how they chew. That's right. See how they chew. Yeah, very just, important. Any, any place where we can pass uh, critical judgment on someone is what we're up for. <laughs> that's what we're always uh, looking. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, I don't like the way you, I don't chew. Like the way you uh, chew. So that's a shout that's out a to plug. an old friend of ours. Uh, you know who you are if you're listening. So, um, but uh, yeah, I think. Uh, that that's a tough one, man. I you know. it is, and and you know, resumes was, don't speak to any of that. It's about it is about the questions, though. There, I mean, you know, we've all been through different like interview classes and different things like that, and behavioral interviewing versus others. And I mean, I do think that there's merit. Um, I think we've got a couple of guys here that actually conduct a very good interview, and they they know the types of questions that they want to ask. They know the examples that they want to see as a part of that. It's one thing to ask a yes or no question. It's one thing to ask a very open-ended question. It's another thing to dig in behind it and say, give me examples of times right. when it looked and felt and did, you did this. Um, and then if you're paying attention, then I believe that you get some of that some of that softer side right. that you're looking for. Yeah, I, I feel... It's when hard. I, when I, think, I was going to say, when I think about my own... Somebody asked me once about hiring, and I was like, I suck at that. Yeah. And and I don't know. I, I think if you're honest with yourself, I think probably everybody says it. that, right? Yeah. If, if you really are honest with yourself. Because it's, it's really hard to do. And the only way that, you know, the only way to, and th even then, there's no guarantee of success, is if you can have somebody work for you for a while before they come on full yeah. time. Yeah. Right? Because then it's the real thing. There's not, it's not an audition. It's, it's, it's real performance. I think the best system I've seen uh, in terms of formal uh, interview processes is, you know, you you obviously post it out. You have very explicit stated, um, here's what your job is. This is how we're going to, this is what's expected. Here's how we're going to measure it. All that sort of stuff on the front end. You go through all these interview processes. You have to do the personality assessments. And then it's, you know, it's a, it's sort of a temp to hire type arrangement. And, and then ultimately it's the, we will write you a check to leave here if you don't belong here within the first 30 days. And so it's, it's, there's an incentive to, get good on a mistake that's been made because usually you know and i mean look from the time you realize that you made a bad hire to the time you let them go is the longest period in your life i mean it takes forever and it's super expensive it's frustrating for everybody and yeah. all and, kinds and of and our, you know our play. benefit systems and stuff don't help with that they've, no, they don't they've, they've made they, that much tougher right do. i mean it would be behoove everybody to have a little more flexibility there i know why it's not so does this that's another podcast but yes yeah, so don't do. let systems define your process correct but they it's, do all the you're time. better to not let that drive the way you the way you yeah. operate. I will say too that it's, that it's, makes it very important for us to make sure that we've got our shit together and that they are walking into a position that's well defined with you know a good set of roles and responsibilities. That's right. In order for us to truly be able to judge them, I, speaking for the two of us, I know we let some people stay here longer than we should have um, in the past, and it really came down to I think. Uh, he and I just not feeling good about the direction that we gave them, and it was like you you, you we'll wanted make it our fault first by default. Yeah, typically. you you um, wanted them to you wanted them to just kind of take off like we do, and some people just they they just need better direction. They're not just gonna go try new things and think ah oh, there's a broken process here. I'm gonna fix it and we're gonna move this forward. And then you know we would sit there and go God you know we 
we should have given them let's give them more time right let's give them you, and to your point earlier like you can't like yeah, you if you can figure it, it out 30 days works. that's kind of hard yeah. but you can certainly we should certainly be able to figure it out in the first 90. what's well, a catch-22 too as well i mean in our business we're looking for technologists in very specific roles that we understand ourselves because that's the business we're in if you're you know a medical practitioner trying to look for an it guy how do you even write that job description? How do you even write those roles? You, do, you don't even know what they're doing. Or you get doing. some help doing it. Right. How are you going to really be able to evaluate it? Well, right? I mean, usually you get Googled and you end up with a half-assed job description that you know might have some alignment just based on generalities with your right. business, but it's not going to be specifically what you need. And you know that's a tough one. I mean, this is why we do what we do. But I I don't envy people looking for IT help or trying to build an IT department or restaff an IT department. No, and this is, it folds back into the conversation we're just having around expectations, right? And, and the success of outsourcing as a whole is because I think most business people are like, the last thing I really want to try to do is try to figure out how to hire good IT people when I don't know, I, I don't know much about IT anyway, like in, in the situations you're talking about where we're not, the company's not big enough where they have IT leadership and IT doers, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really... It's a really hard place to be. I mean, it's it's atypical, but I think that probably the most effective thing for people, let's say they don't want to outsource, is to define an outcome and then post that as the job description. Like, here's what I want to get done. How you get it done is up to you, but this is how I'm going to gauge whether or not something was accomplished. And that's about as in-depth as anyone should go. Otherwise, it starts to be counterproductive. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, I just felt like that was a, uh, it seemed relevant given the time of year and sort of the, the thinking, sort of folding into thinking about annual planning. Um, got one last topic I want to touch on that has literally nothing to do with anything along those lines. Those are my than, favorite. Other than something I read that I thought was interesting. Um, and it's, it's really everybody's favorite business tool, uh, the subject is, and that's email. Um, I, I know how much you guys love email. Cameron loves email. I, I, I particularly I hate love it. Email. I, I, I write it notes regularly. I think about it a lot. Yeah. Um, well, it turns out you guys have a lot of company uh, if you don't like email. And, okay. And it's like most, I don't know anybody who does like email, but everybody uses email. Um, and there was this article in the Wall Street Journal last month. It was about Cloudflare, this acquisition they had done, like a small company that they were really trying to put a lot of juice into going into 2023 because it was about basically email security. Um, and that's what this product mm -hmm. is for. And they were trying to, you know, trying to get better at trying to make sure email is more secure. Right. Because mm -hmm. let's I mean, the bottom line is email is not secure. Right. It's yeah, it's not secure at all in terms of the way it works. That's part of why it's been so that's part of why it's so ubiquitous. It works yeah. so well, but it's it's not secure. And and that article, it wasn't even that interesting. I don't I mean, I'm reading it because it's IT shit and it's, uh, whatever. If you published it. Nice yeah. work. But there was something in that article that was particularly interesting. And the CISO from Colgate, they, they quoted a bunch of different people, but the CISO from Colgate Palmolive was quoted, and this is what he said. <laughs> and I just, I'm, I'm gonna, let's pause for just a second after I finish reading this, because just let it sink in for a second. He said, it would be great if companies would switch away from email and start using other services, but people don't change. Now, I don't know what the breadth of that quote was, but that's the quote in the article. I dissect that a little bit. And, and make everything I'd say past this point based on one assumption. And the assumption is work is email, email is work. Because if you were to walk into any institution, by and large, my opinion is people sit in front of their computers and stare at email most of the day. If they're not actively engaging in a specific project or in a meeting with other people, they're looking at email. 
not as like a scheduled thing. Like, I mean, if you think about the physical equivalent, it's walking to your mailbox. If you walk to your mailbox and did that all day long, every day, you know, sun up to sundown, you'd look like a crazy person. But well, that's literally to, you, what you're You'd doing. also have to have the mailman stopping by your mailbox every five yeah, seconds. It's silly. Right? The whole concept's silly. So the, but, but people default to habitual kind of behaviors, and that's let me look at email, let me see, because it's, you know, I don't know if it's the, the instant message dopamine hit of like taking a quick look at something or you're just looking for something to do or, or it's you know pacifying you to go to email. But truth be told, my opinion is pretty strong on this. If you need something, don't send me a freaking email. Like it's great for document. I mean, I'm not going to pin an email to tell you to go take out the trash. That's crazy. Like, the, you know, it's instant message. We have lots of different communication and collaboration tools. Email is a horrible one. And I think that people, like I said, sit down and look at it to try to find what's next in their day. So if you don't set up discrete times and say, I'm going to go check my email and actually process it, categorize it, put it now, later, whatever, determine what to do with it, reference, whatever, you're just going to sit down and thumb through it like entertainment. And that's not what it's for. And so I think fundamentally the whole damn system's flawed. Let me get off my soapbox because you know I hate email. But. It, it, it creates the behavior. As you were talking just then about the the mailbox analogy, I started think, thinking about a contact center environment and where you're sitting there and you're waiting in queue to for respond. that next call. Like that, you're, that's a all you do, you're taking the next call, the, the call happens, you, you hang up, there might be a brief period for documentation, and then boom, the next Back call in the comes queue. through. Yeah. And, and I think about people that just sit. Think about this, when people come back from being out sick or being on vacation, what's the first thing they say? They say hey, I'm going to catch up on email today. I'm going to get caught up on email. Not, I'm going to meet with the different groups in the organization, you know. Re-establish my priorities. And, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to make sure that there's nothing out there that needs, that is waiting on me today. Right. It's, I'm going to, and I'll feel better when I check on email. And then I think it's also when in doubt, back to the contact center, it's when in doubt, you know, is there something in there I can respond to? Yeah. You know, and, I mean. And, I, yeah, 100%. I, I, and interesting, <clears throat> I found this really interesting, and here's why. Because. There's a book called A World Without Email that was written about almost two years ago by so a guy. It's a fantasy it. novel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, yeah, he, it was a joke of a title to a certain degree. It was written by a guy named Cal Newport. He's a computer science professor at Georgetown, and he's a proponent of stuff like slow productivity and deep work around knowledge workers. Not He's not talking about going out in the woods right. and chopping trees down or whatever. He's talking about how do you get better at doing knowledge work, right? I mean, he's a computer science professor. Knowledge work. So, knowledge sort of be here now kind yeah. of concept yeah and and he says i mean this is so so rewind two years ago people have been talking about email being a problem from a productivity standpoint for a long time this isn't new right and and the you know the proliferation of the ability to check your email from your phone so now you can check it wherever the hell you go lots of problems with that that people have identified right Uh, work-life balance stress uh you know tactical versus strategic i mean you can go on and on right i mean it's it's goes all the way back to Stephen Covey's seven habits like what quadrant are you working right. in and emails right. very rarely in the right one so what what I found interesting about this is this guy's basically he's basically saying the same thing but maybe this is actually the chance maybe this is a tipping point for companies because email is the biggest security problem yeah. for every company in the fucking world right well you have and, and we want to we want to sell we you know there's ddos anti-ddos fans we got millions of brilliant people all over the world trying to figure out how to come up with an you know with machine learning and ai to prevent you know uh 
intrusions and people hacking in and doing stuff. And the real problem, and we always joke about it, but it's John in accounting getting a, an email and sending money to somebody. And that is, is I mean, it might be high tech. How he dumbass John. Yeah, we, it might be. Well, we always we always use Betty, and yeah, so I'm going to a dude because yeah, it's not Betty. It's it's right. anybody, right? And inherently, it's and Betty. what this guy. I think this guy's actually onto something. What he realizes is that the business has got to change. The business has to force change around how email is used if we're going to solve the security problem. It's it's like the old. It, it's like I always say about the internet. The internet is an open protocol. So we've tried to figure out how to make it secure when fundamentally it's not built for that. Correct. And so we're never going to get there. I mean, we can get more secure, but it's never going to be secure. And email is the same way. Email's never going to be secure. So the simple answer, if you're the CISO, would be like, we don't do anything financial on email, period. Yeah, It's got to be in a different kind of, either you're writing it, you're going over to somebody's desk, you're sending them a carrier pigeon. I don't care, but it's not going to be on email, right? Yeah. That seems like... I was just curious, do y'all see that as a potential tipping point to change our relationship with email? Because when you listen to people talk about email, they talk about it like it's it's this immovable force that we can't do anything about. I mean, you just bitched about it for 15 minutes and everybody bitches about it and nothing changes. Because he says, now he's maybe a little bit of a skeptic or maybe he was just trying to be provocative, but he said, but people don't change. Well, people can change, but it's hard. And so what's it going to take for people to Somebody's change? Somebody's got to tell them to change. Like, it's that, it's not going to just change. Correct. I mean, I think his point is my CEO needs to tell people, yeah. if you send a request to somebody by email for a financial thing, you're fucking fired. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a pretty, I mean, I, that's honestly, a that's, I think that's where it's... fired up, yeah, yeah. man. I mean, I, I think that's, that's where you're That's a pretty specific up. thing, but I think... I mean, look, we had a client this week had literally the same thing happen. It was somebody clicked on a phishing campaign, and you know what? Look, somebody has a couple cocktails and gets on their phone and starts fiddle fucking around with That's email. That happens all the time. The and pe- really people good. people don't, you know, it'd be like me saying, hey, you're Border Patrol. Stand here at Border Patrol. Also, you can eat your lunch here. You can have a few cocktails here. You can be half asleep and open up with one eye and look at your phone. Like, you're, 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 you're right to do a half-assed job just because it's the same unified interface. Because so, you're trying to clear it out. Yeah, you're trying to do whatever it is. So, so you've like, got, oh, got, yeah, got, you got all these weird psychological Yeah, I, I mean, it's just, being I, I'm just curious. Like, wonder what it's going to – what is it going to take? You what, I'll g- pick one. You want to get them kids off TikTok or you want to get people to stop fucking with email? Because both of them have the same outcome. People don't change. They won't change. And it doesn't matter how many times you get burned. Literally, people... It, I forgot the, the figure I saw the other day, but it was in the bill, hundreds of billions of dollars in uh, uh, exploits that took place in 2022. Yeah, I mean, ransomware and phishing, is, uh, that, those the are the two thing. biggest security breach issue, yeah. you know, categories by a thousand miles. And, and social engineering is, and I don't is still think, a thing, but primarily it's phishing. The, I don't think the, the spending. I don't think the spending lines up with that. it. Doesn't at all. You know. No, it doesn't at and, all. And what, sure. I guess what we're, what we're talking about here actually doesn't cost anything. Well, if you look at all the things we I mean, do around anti phishing process change. Yeah. So anti phishing education is great. It says, hey, open the email, look at it, think about this, be you know, be diligent, double check it. That's fine when you're sitting there cognizant of what you just learned. When you're on your phone at one in the morning because you can't sleep and you're thumbing through it one eye in it in the dark, I promise you're going to click on something eventually where you weren't thinking about your anti-phishing training. Yes. It's a horrible tool. I don't like it. What, what is know, it good for? Like, let's flip it for a second. Documentation. What's it, what's it good which for? Which I, I don't think it's supposed to be, yeah. but it's, people use it all the time to keep a historical archive or record, you know, an audit trail of communicate right yeah. i mean that's just how it works I'd, I'd say that the second would be communication to the masses similar sure. to a conference call yeah, hey sure. 15 people 
NCR days. Thirty a, people. Attachment handling. Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, you get you got to have. Yeah, but attachment handling back to security—that's a problem. No, it's a, there's much but, better ways. Yeah, yeah but it's but ways. it's like what's for lunch? It's hey, uh, can we have a meeting? It's it's everything. But that, uh, you know, there's a lot of poor discipline in using the tool as well. Uh, but I think, you know, everybody grows up with it now. We're at a point where there's very few people in the world that didn't grow up with email now uh, and uh, or at least have had it in their life longer than they didn't have it. So how do you change their, their you know, the, the how do you do it? Uh, there's there isn't like a, a speed limit for email. I mean, I actually I'm, I'm, I feel like it's I mean, and, and I'm, I'm channeling Cal Newport here a bit. He actually thinks it's going to be a strategic advantage for certain companies if they figure out how to manage these Well, let's look better. at how, you know. if you take on average what your, take your payroll and assume 20% of it's going to fucking with email. <laughs> that's a, I mean, and that, that's not a, I feel like I'm being very conservative. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're super conservative so, with that. If I went to you and said, hey, guess what? I'm going to take your payroll and I'm going to ask that you uh, spend 20% more so people can play on their computer. That's literally what it is. Yeah, I mean, that it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that all email is. is useless, but it, no. There, there's Otherwise no way I'd to suss out. But because of the way we're doing it today, there's no way to suss out yep. what's really important versus what's not, right? And that's... Anyway. You could do a whole podcast on just this, and there's a couple people we know that are super passionate about this and have ideas about well i mean I, I, I'm, again I, I didn't this is a it's not a new topic just no. seeing a security guy frame it the way he did yeah. i thought was really Smart. interesting because it yeah, felt like maybe this is the way maybe this wakes us up to say just because we have this tool doesn't mean we have to use it the way we're using it right. that's that that's it's like anything else just because you have a hammer you know you can hit certain things with it, but you shouldn't hit everything with it. And that's kind of what it feels like we've done with email. Um, got, we've we've really, crammed a lot of business needs into this communication device, right? Yeah. And and it's, or communication tool, and it's not for that. Well, about once or twice a year, I go through this obsession over email. Not obsessed with email, but obsessed on the topic of email. And I did this probably in the October of this past year, and you know, said to hell with it. I'm going to stick to my guns and do something a certain way. I did find it was interesting. I get 40 to one emails in terms of junk email to legitimate email. And out of emails that are legitimate, nine out of 10 don't have anything to do with me directly. They're more FYI, just right, in you're case. you're getting copied. Yeah. So and we're a small company. That's way worse than a big company, trust me. I'm sure. And so, oh, yeah. you know, you start to think about the irrelevance of most of it causes you to be sloppy and- Well, and there's no way, also. I mean, again, there's tools for them to try to say, well, this is important, this is not, but like back to the thing, no, it's not really good it. at that. Yeah. You have to discern that yourself. So, yeah. you know, anytime not you're changing spending- changing subjects, putting you in the CC line when it really has to do with you, but you know, there's yeah. a lot of poor email etiquette out there as sure. well. Sure, um, sure. But, but it gets back to the- the whole problem. I mean, now you're talking about email etiquette and yeah. training people how to use it more effectively when at the end of the day it just sucks. That's right. <laughs> we lost two-thirds of our listeners when we started bitching about email because everybody knows they're guilty of being part of the yeah, problem. Yeah, like, God so, damn it. it sorry, guys. a lot. Yeah. But those who are yeah. still around, thank you for being on Team Hating. Yeah, for sure. Now. On that note, we are going to wrap up. Um, but before we do, we've got a couple of, you know, you know, I like to ask. I know how you thing. do. You know, I yeah. like to get a couple of questions. And since it's winter, you know, I figured I'd get you guys to answer a couple couple of cold weather questions. You're going to get the yes man to answer? I feel All like right. the yes man needs something. In All there. right. Um, and this one, we're going to, Law, I'm going to let you answer first because I'm pretty sure I know what Cameron's answer is going to be. But best skiing or sledding memory. I couldn't memory. agree with you more completely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yes, man. Can't beat him. Best skiing or sledding memory. Sledding takes you to a whole other place. Well, that's that's why I asked. Yeah, um, and I don't ski, so you know. 
So skiing, we've had lots of good ski trips. That was kind of our thing. Um, has been our thing over like Christmas holidays. Sledding, um, it takes me back to Nautilus and the hill that we had at Nautilus. That people it, don't know what Nautilus is. I'm sorry. sorry. My street growing up. Well, the, <laughs> close. I knew me. what it was. Yeah, yeah. But not everybody Lincoln Law did. grew up together, so they knew. They, they both knew what they were talking about. I didn't he, know what he, he was talking the, about. He knew the general area exactly. for sure. Um, at the bottom, it, first of all, it was. It seemed like it was way bigger than it was today. It seemed like it was straight down. <laughs> it's kind of flat. Like Olympic you know, ski jump. Yeah. But there was a there was a little gully, kind of drop off, that hit. I guess that's Anderson Road right there. So anybody's familiar with Anderson Road knows that's pretty busy. A fairly busy road, yeah. yeah. And um, we got a wild hare one day. I don't know if we're 10, 11, 12, 13, something like that. And we decided we were going – I think I think uh, one of my buddies, Jimmy Haith, was the first to attempt it and uh, hit it. And he hit it just right. Of course, he came off the sled and into the middle of the street. The separation. And whatnot. And I had another buddy, and I'll protect his name for this, he decided to hit it. Well, Jimmy didn't tell him that you kind of had to pull up on it a little bit when you when you bottomed out, <laughs> and, and he didn't. So it bit, and he just barreled face first into the side of it. Like, so there was no uplift at all. He just <laughs> went straight, just dipped, went straight into it. Hit the and face it, of the ramp. Yeah, and ended up feet going over the top of his head and still ended up in the street. Uh, just <laughs> laying, laying there, there. Oh, shit. in the laughter that took place like, there. That was awesome. <laughs> Do it again, man. <laughs> Who's going to try it now? The sled broke, thank God, as a result of that. Shut the whole day down. But I let yeah. Brian answer because Cameron may have a better skiing memory, but he has a gigantic swollen right knee right yes, now from having a skiing accident I last do. week or two weeks ago. Is that so. a good memory? No, it's not. No, I mean, not. you know, but here's what I've started realizing. As you were talking and Link posed the question, I don't know of any event involving snow and shenanigans that didn't end up with an injury. Somebody gets injured every time. Always. It it, I mean, it, it's without fail. Uh, probably my favorite one has to do with sledding is always just silly. And, uh, you know, where we grow up around here, there's not that much snow. So when it happens, you get I mean, real excited. everybody's yeah. fired up. Hell and so yeah. Mine was uh, a group of guys I saw at the park. There's a park in the middle of Nashville on, on 12th Avenue that, that has a little bit of a hill and it's bordered by a creek. And, you know, when it gets cold here, it doesn't stay cold that long. So the creeks don't really freeze over. But they might get, like, a light sheet of ice and a lot of <laughs> snow. And I saw a bunch of drunk dudes pile onto a tube, which is unsteerable. You know, it's just, it's just mass in motion. Yep. Do the same kind of thing where they went flying down a hill, all piled on top of each other, hit the jump. The jump disperses the midair, and they all land on top of the creek which immediately went into the creek and so you know, they're, they're all soaked. yes soak soak so you know it serves them right that's what you get i'd be that same idiot if i had been available or <laughs> i'm sure they were yeah, i'm sure yeah. they love telling that story about how yeah. awesome it was too so yeah, you know there's so, that yeah but i've got a blown knee right now from hitting a tree and here's the thing people versus trees trees always win like that's just the way it goes they don't they don't give so words to live by guys yeah hopefully uh one of our clients will take care of me this afternoon and uh i'll I'll get that sorted out. All right, question two of three. What's the coldest you have ever been? I don't exactly where this was. I, you want to go first? Oh, you go. The, um, just, just for the record, Law and I might have the same, we might have the same memory. It's possible, but. I, I'm with you there. I think I'm the coldest, though. The coldest, the coldest spot I've ever been in um, was in Montana in January in the middle of Yellowstone. And it was like negative 
I think negative 47 or something like that. I mean, it gets to a point where cold is just cold and I'm sure somebody can argue with this if like from Siberia, but like it, it does, it all feels the right. same. It's bone. Minus 20 cold. and minus 50 kind of feel the same. Yeah. Right. Truthfully though, the most cold I've ever been was when we, uh, I was on a fishing trip and we were dressed like we were going to Costa Rica. The flight got canceled. We ended up in New Orleans and we went fishing thinking our attire for Costa Rica would fit the, fit the bill. The air was 50 degrees, but the water was probably 30. And so we were on a boat <laughs> well, doing about 30, 30 or 40 but, miles an yeah. hour, you know, with all this wind on us, wet with like it's the fog. One of the guys had been in the Marines and had done cold weather training, and he looked at me, he's like, it's four or five times colder right now than it during doing that. So it's a horrible, horrible cold. So that's the coldest I've ever been. He's just trying to make you feel better. Yeah. Because yeah, I was whining. He knew you were yeah. a wimp. Yeah. So were you thinking Southwest the word Missouri you were or yes. were you thinking yes. Wichita? Southwest Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. They were both cold. Southwest Missouri was re- – well, we were playing baseball yeah. in yeah. the snow. Yes, it was snowing. That was really cool. It was 28 and snowing. I think – In normal uniform, you didn't prepare? Uh, no. I mean, oh, we had, had sleeves on, but, I, I mean, I, you, at, you can't play baseball dressed like, you know, the you kid from the Christmas snow. Story. Yeah. You got to you gotta, you gotta have – there can only be so much. And back know? then, there was – you didn't have the stretchable Under Armour. Like, it was mm-hmm. long, old-school long johns, which were tight and very right. restricted. Like you had choices. To make. I had on a long sleeve T-shirt and my jersey and pants and socks. And where were you? Southwest we're, Missouri. Southwest Missouri. So basically, Nebraska, Kansas. Like, yeah. What, what's the city? Springfield? No, it's not Spring. I don't know where it is. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I think actually it's called Missouri State now. It's not yeah. called Southwest Missouri. What about but, when we got? What about when we got surprised at Southern Miss? Seventy-five degrees and that, swimming the night before and playing a game. And it was thirty. Twenty-five yeah, or thirty. 30. It, it was a night game. Yeah, brutal. We could go on. People don't want to hear our yeah. stupid baseball stories. So I was, but but you said you might have another one. Yeah, we were duck hunting last year, and we were duck watching, or maybe not even duck watching. I'm not even sure that we saw ducks. <laughs> but we sat in this. You were sitting at a duck blind. Hanging out of a camp. We sat in this yeah. blind that um, we weren't inside. Like it was, you know, it, we put everything up around it, and there was there was a you winter wind coming in behind us. And what made me feel like a big wuss is one of the guys that we were with, just crazy redneck dude from Arkansas. He's down there with just like a shirt and some coveralls. He's not even in waders. <laughs> and watching him, now he was chain smoking, so that helped him. But watching <laughs> Kept him, him warm. made me feel Peter. like the biggest, you know what, alive. But I think people become I, acclimated to it. I, you do. I, I literally you get, you get more used was to it. so cold, and so was my oldest son. That I I hurt like my my hands they like literally they hurt and they hurt for like fifteen minutes in the truck I, I couldn't get out of that damn place was fast the enough. sun up the sun was not up I said I said once the sun comes up it gets colder there was like, no sun always. like it just stayed it stayed back shaded and we had a northwest wind hitting us at about. 20 miles an hour and it was about 15 Brutal. degrees to begin with and it sucked yeah that sounds bad it made me like especially really, since you chose and it's one of those I chose to be here yeah what, what, what the hell's ducks. wrong with me we were shooting yeah. some ducks been okay baby. Yeah. maybe yeah. duck watching yeah alright last question favorite winter drink did we not do that? it doesn't have to be a cocktail uh, no we did a holiday cocktail that's different oh huh. it's, it's probably gonna be the same for me I like um, the good old Irish coffee it's good I mean, if I'm going to go with non-alcoholic, I mean, just some good freaking hot chocolate, some vitamin D milk in it, and some, like done <laughs> the right. whole milk, the real yeah, thing, with some fat in there, with the, with the fire going, some marshmallows on top. It's mm. hard to go wrong. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. 
That's then it's wild. just then it's just whiskey. If it's yeah, <laughs> brown. Anything yeah. I could drink, it goes brown. Brown, 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 brown. Okay, okay, everyone, that's a wrap. Uh, thanks again for listening. We'll be back to our regular scheduled Cut the Ship programming in a couple of weeks. Until then, take care and stay warm. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you would become a subscriber wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that would really help us out. Or you can just go old school and tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, and hell, anybody else who you think might want to hear something like this to listen in. If you're on social media, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at cuttheshit underscore pod. We are also on TikTok, at cuttheshitpod, all one word, where we post lots of clips from the podcast. And last but not least, you can also watch the YouTube version of the show on our YouTube channel, at Plow Networks. Until next time, take care and have a great day.